Join From Beer to the Bible every week as Irvin Lee and co-host Sarah Oliveira McDonald warn others of the consequences of drug and alcohol addiction by being the voice of faith-based recovery. Every week, Irvin and Sarah help people get access to the treatment and counseling they so desperately need. They explore the depths of addiction and give practical life examples of how to recover and develop a new rhythm of living. The show is gritty, authentic, and simply raw while being rooted in the love, faith, and hope of God. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. Hey guys, welcome to From Beer to the Bible. My name is Neil Williams, and I will be your host today. I'm here with my dad, Rex Williams. And uh, first of all, thank you to Sarah and Irvin for letting us hijack the studio today. Uh, We're excited to be here with you. And today we're going to talk about Um, We're going to talk about a lot of things, but first and foremost, we're going to talk about our book uh, that we wrote. It's called Letters Home, A Journey into Recovery. So, Dad, welcome. Ah, It's great to be here. You know, I'm glad to be on this side of the journey, (laughs) let me tell you, because it was 12 years of hell. And so I'm I'm glad to be way over on this side of the journey. Yeah, it's a little bit different. And today we're going to talk a little bit about um, first I want to hear from you, you know, like you said here, we're in a very different stage of life than we were, uh, that's talked about in the book. And, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, our book is about not just because I'm in recovery and I'm a recovered addict and alcoholic. Um, uh, my dad is not. Um, so our journey was a little bit different. What, what I always try to let people know is recovery journey our recovery journey is a journey for the entire family. So my addiction, the entire time through my addiction, my family was going through it with me. The entire time through recovery, God willing, my family is going through it with me. And so dad, can you speak to kind of some of the things? Well, first let's go back to the very beginning when things all started and I'm out there drinking and acting crazy and living this lifestyle what's going through your head when I first started getting in trouble, maybe the first couple phone calls from school, the police and stuff like that. Um, Where are you at in the beginning stages of it? What are you thinking? Disbelief, because this is not my son. This was not what I had planned. This was not uh, the heritage I was expecting. Uh, There was no alcoholic or addiction that was obvious in, in my family growing up. So to have a son who was struggling this way was just not what I had planned. And so it was disbelief and not knowing what to do. Like, this is not my son. What do I do? Uh, and I remember one of the first times uh, that uh, you were arrested and you were at a at a drive-in and had been caught with some beer and you were underage. And I remember arriving at this drive-in and the cops coming up to me and talking to me and telling me what had happened. And I just remember sinking to my knees and sitting on the curb. No, this is not happening. And that was the beginning of what I had no idea what was about to happen for the next 12 years of your addiction and alcoholism. It's interesting. I remember that night and I remember what I was thinking and I was thinking, what's the big deal? And why is, why is everybody here? Why does this have to be such a big scene? 
why can't you guys just let me do my thing? I'm not hurting anybody. That that specific instance, I remember I had beer in my back seat and someone, had, I think a police officer or someone had pulled up next to us and had looked down in my back seat window and seen the alcohol in my car. And obviously I had long hair and, you know, baby face. Was I 16 or 17? 16. Yeah, I just got my license. Yeah. And so it was obvious that we weren't supposed to have alcohol. But I remember feeling like, why are these people coming into my life interrupting what I've got going on? I'm like, leave me alone. And that's that was pretty much my attitude for the, well, gosh, I guess you should answer that. What was it like trying in the beginning? Because I remember you, you wanted to address it with me. Mm -hmm. And so how did you feel when you tried to do that? Because I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't really remember those conversations from early on. Well, you would have nothing to do with the conversation. Uh, and, and then as a dad, I, I went into this fix it mode. I wanted to fix you, you know, uh, to, to tell you that why on earth would you do this? And what's the motivation to do this? And so there was a great frustration because you weren't listening to anything I had to say. And and it, it just got worse and worse and worse. And then you started to push away. Um, and then it was, we moved into the point where then still in the fix it mode, we wanted to get you into rehab to, to fix you. And over and over again, that didn't work. Um, so he has the fix it mode that comes into play. And I was in fix it mode too. This is funny because as we talk about it, I'm, it'll reveal the tone in our mindset because I was trying to fix it too. There's a lot of us people who were trying to fix people and I was trying to fix feelings I didn't like. I wanted to fix the way I felt and um, nobody else could do it. And so I wasn't gonna let anybody else try. And so therapists, doctors, my parents and um, teachers or coaches or anybody else, I didn't have room for it. I just felt like nobody else understood. And so I was trying to fix that. I was trying to fix my discomfort and, um, and my emptiness. And so when looking back, when you and mom were trying to not just fix it, but you were trying to help me, I felt like y'all are focusing on the wrong problem. Y'all are worried about what I'm doing that is addressing the real problem. Like, I don't want to feel this way. And all I hear you guys saying is stop doing this, stop doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this to fix this problem that's inside of me that I can't, I can't put my finger on it. And so there was a lot of confusion. It's funny to think about that because I see how we were all trying to do it ourselves. Um, I'm not saying you guys were trying to do it yourself, but I think parents, I work with a lot of families, mm -hmm. And I see parents wanting to fix their children. And we sometimes forget that we operate under someone's supervision, you know, something a lot bigger than us. Anyways, I don't want to get lost on that. So treatment didn't come until after high school because through high school, we, we went to a bunch of doctors. We went to therapists. Mm -hmm. uh, what else did we do? Yeah, there, 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 there was counseling and you were from one school to another. And I remember uh, 
medications came into play. We, we want yeah. to medicate the problem. How do we, you know, there's got to be a, a certain drug that's going to make you right. Whether it's, bipolar, yeah, depression. Yeah, whatever your issue is. But I remember uh, down the road, we were sitting on the front porch uh, one evening, and I, and I had finally realized what the problem was. And I said, Neil, this is truly a heart problem. This is not a, a physical problem. This is a heart problem. And once you get your relationship with God on track, these things will begin to get better. And I know that just went one in one ear and out the other at that time. But I remember I had come to realization that it wasn't about medication. It wasn't about rehab. It was about you getting your heart right. Before anything was going to get better, you had to get your heart right. And that didn't happen for a few years. No, because I wasn't seeing it that way. And in fact, I remember that conversation. And I remember where we were sitting um, in front of your house. And I remember that didn't even register with me you were talking nonsense mm -hmm. and you really were. And now when I think about recovery and when I sponsor guys and working with people, the most beautiful thing is watching someone have a spiritual awakening and watching that work outward through their life mm -hmm. because the spiritual change, then um, the spiritual change is what triggers all the other changes. Mm -hmm. Because if my spirit is whole and if I'm, connected to God does everything. He does everything for me. Yeah. And so when I know that that's the focus and I know that that's the issue is I have the emptiness and I have the need for God in my life and without him, I am nothing. Then it's very simple. Yeah. Then it's very simple. We just go to the source. We address that, make it the priority and everything else follows. But for me, I was doing it so backwards. I was trying to fix all these other things without the aid of that. That was the last thing I wanted was anything that had anything to do with God. Yeah. Um, I remember it, it almost made me angry because I felt like people were minimizing the issue. Right. I felt like they were glossing over what was really going on in my life and saying, you don't know what you're talking about. How do I not know what I'm talking about when the problem is me? Mm -hmm. And so I felt, I felt attacked. Yeah. But I don't think that's the, I know that's not the reality of it, but that's how I felt. Um, how did you deal with, I think a lot of parents wonder, how do I deal with that? How do I respond when I know what I'm saying? Like when you had that moment, that epiphany, mm -hmm. and you had that realization, and then you communicate it to me, and it's just a wall. What then? Well, you know, I, I think there was a time when I, had a semblance of peace when I realized that I wasn't going to fix you. It was going to take God moving in your life to fix you. And I needed to just do what I felt God directed me to do with you and for you. And I knew that that's what you needed to hear. You needed to hear from me that I realized that the heart of the problem was your spiritual heart. But I also had to get come to the point for me that I had to realize that God was the one who was going to take care of this problem. And I had to find a way to relax and just do what God wanted me to do and not more and not become 
not play the role of fix it, not play the role of police. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I came to that point of resting and knowing that God was busy about you 24 seven, loved you more than I could comprehend. And he had a plan for you. When I got to that realization, there was a peace that came over. Not that I didn't still get upset when I got a phone call, you were in jail again or whatever. Yeah. No, I did. But deep inside, I knew that God was chasing after you and had a good plan for you. Right. That's good. I want, I would like you to speak to, let me frame this question better. Through high school and through my, through my adolescent and teen years and on through high school, I'm a minor. You and my mom have a say in my life. Y'all can tell me, hey, this is how it's going to go. Here's where we're going to go to get some support and get some help. Here's what we need you to do. And I was cooperative and all those things. That happens in a lot of homes. And then they come of age. And then they become an adult. And if the problem is still happening, which in many homes it is, you cross over this line where now it's an adult and this is a grown man legally. I can't tell him what to do. I cannot make him do anything. I want to love him because he's my son. I don't like him because mm -hmm. he's an addict and he's an alcoholic and he's not a nice person and he's very selfish, but I love him because he's my son. Speak to that transition, please, because I, so many moms and dads struggle with that. I love my son. I do not like him right now mm -hmm. because he's stealing from us. He's yelling at us, sometimes attacking us. There's all sorts of difficult things that come from that. How did you handle and what was that like making that transition from He's no longer a child and I can't just take him to get help anymore. What do I do? And do I talk to him? Those boundaries. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I remember one time when you, you, you came back home and we had three rules. One was, Where, when was this? I came home from treatment. Yes. Uh -huh. And so we were going to try having you in the home. Yeah. Uh, and we had three rules. One was to, to get up, one was to go to work, and the other was to stay sober. Well, I think it was 24 hours and you've broken all three of those rules. <laughs> and so we had to ask you to leave. Yeah. And that was very hard. Uh, <clears throat> and then we didn't know where you were gonna go. I didn't know where you were gonna go. But it's so interesting how God went to work and brought people into your life. Uh, there were people who uh, wanted to adopt you more or less and, and invited you into their home. They were godly loving people who wanted to uh, pray for you and love you mm -hmm. and which they did. And so um, God was busy about protecting you, but as a parent making that decision to ask you to leave the home was very hard, but, knowing that God had a plan for you and, and loved you more than I did, that was, that gave me peace, but it didn't make it easy. Um, but I remember uh, once driving in my car and, and thinking, oh man, I, I, I know I need to go up and look through his room and then I know there's something up there. And God said, 
No, you're not the police. This is not your role. This is not your job. I'm busy about him. And that was me. Okay. Okay. God, you're busy about it. I got it. It's back yeah. off. It's weird how we, for, I think about my connection to God and how personal it is and all the people in my life that I have that are also connected to God. And I see them operating in his plan, right? Mm -hmm. I see when I have moments where I'm uh, lacking in faith and I, and I cry out to God and, and then I see these people come into play mm -hmm. and I see how God moved them. I see what's happening. It's funny how easily we forget that he employs all of us. Any of us who are willing, we all work for the same God. And I don't want to make it sound like work, work, but he is our director. Mm -hmm. You know, it says that in the big book, he is our director and we are his agents and he, he is in control of all of it. But in a moment like that, I forget surely nobody, nobody has it. Nobody's qualified to do this, but me and nobody else is going to understand. How would they know? I forget the omniscient one. Yeah. You know, well, the evil one is busy about making us forget. I remember I, I had this reoccurring dream that was a nightmare that I would wake up and one night and go to the front porch and find you dumped dead on my front porch. So I would, there were nights I would get up when I didn't know where you were and I go to the front porch in the middle of the night and just check to make sure your dead body wasn't there. And that was a lie from the evil one telling me that he was going to take your life. And you even tried to take your own life, but God had other plans. So yeah, the evil one's busy about causing havoc and making us forget the promises. So I had to battle against that. No, that's a lie. Hearing you talk about that, it reminds me how I felt. So when I tried to take my life, you know, on my 19th birthday and then, um, it didn't work out. I tried to drive off a ledge and a tire blew out before I got to the ledge. I remember being frustrated because one, I failed at something like that. It's embarrassing. And, uh, what do you do now? What do you do after you fail at suicide? Because suicide's final and it's, um, it's solidified. And so when that didn't happen, I was very lost, very confused. And I felt like God had cursed me again. Like you're going to live with this. There's no way out. When in reality, looking back now, I see that he saved me from believing the lie that Satan was telling me because Satan was telling me you're done. You're a nuisance. Get out of the way, make their lives better, make it easier. Just let's solve this for everyone. Take yourself out of the equation and let them live in peace. And that make, it made sense to me in my pain and in my misery, because in that moment, everything is so cloudy and the, the water is so muddy and murky that there was no truth there. It was just yuck. Mm -hmm. And so I believing that it's just such a lie. 
And now when I look back and see that it was actually him saving me from that, and I had, in fact, believed the lie, um, it's wild. But so when that happened, um, where were we? Well, uh, I think we were talking about how uh, the evil one is busy about telling us lies. And I, and I know for me, I had to remind myself that he was a liar and God had a plan. Uh, but I had no idea that it would take so long for this journey to finally come to some point where there was a turning point. Yes. Uh, I had no idea. Had I known how long it was going to take, I don't know that I would have put up with the journey. <laughs> so, Thank you. And so, yeah. So I'm, I'm thankful that God gave me endurance through the journey. Uh, and I'm thankful for all the people that he brought into uh, the journey that walked alongside us. Yeah. Uh, because I, 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 early on I felt alone, but before long there was, there were others who would come alongside me and encourage me. Yeah. And I had, uh, people from our church that were encouraging people that, that were loving and, and prayed constantly for you and were in this journey with us together. So when it came time that I actually said, Hey, I want to try. And for me, it came in the form of, I was arrested and this was, I'd been arrested several times in the years Two years leading up to this final arrest, I'd been arrested like seven or eight times really rapidly, just a lot of stuff. And uh, things had, things were really chaotic. I was living on the street, I uh, was uh, using and selling methamphetamine, and so I wasn't sleeping. Uh, the thing about methamphetamine um, and drugs like this is when you don't sleep. For me, I was homeless. Uh, so I was running the streets and riding around with people and I'm awake all the time. So it's 24 seven in compromising situations. And so a lot of bad stuff happened really, really fast. And when I finally came to the point that I cried out to God and I said, Hey, I, I can't do this in, anymore. Um, miraculously I'm arrested some hours after I said that prayer, I called you a day or two later and initiate that contact and say, Hey, I'm really just going to stay and I'm going to see what this means. And I really want to try. Um, could you hear the difference in my voice? I really, I've always want to ask you that. Well, here's what I remember about the conversation. Uh, I was in Phoenix for Easter, uh, and, uh, I got a phone call, uh, and I, and it was you and, and you said, dad, I said, Hey, uh, he said, Dad, I, uh, you said, I'm in jail again. And I remember saying, well, what are you going to do? He said, and you said, he said, you said, I guess I'm going to let go and let God and do what you've been telling me that I need to do. And I said, okay. I Sure, I didn't believe you. Uh, I was hopeful. But I sensed uh, a resignation in your voice. And so that, that was a little encouraging, but still after 12 years, I, I wasn't going to readily believe, oh yeah, this is it. 
we're fixed now. This is great. No, you were just in jail again. And you, you were telling me maybe what I wanted to hear. Uh, so let's just see. So how do you navigate through that? Well, do I help? Do I not help? Well, I know that I was going to help because that's just my nature. And so that's really where we began with the letters. Yep. Uh, we began communicating. And I know that what's so important is to keep the communication flowing. And that's what these letters did. They kept the communication flowing. They kept me being able to encourage you, being able to instruct you, being able to challenge you, being able to remind you who you are and what God had had a plan for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was good. So that's my role began uh, as an encourager at that point and a guide. Let's, let's walk through this. Okay. You're, you're saying you want to let go and let God and do what he wants you to do. Well, here's what I might suggest. You mm -hmm. might read this. Uh, you might read about this person in the Bible. What about looking who Gideon was and how he lived his life? What about Daniel? What about looking at Joseph and these characters and how their life uh, played out? So that, that became my role, the, the encourager. Mm -hmm. Not the fixer, but now the encourager. Yeah, and I know for me, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to respond. Um, I knew you would respond, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. And I certainly didn't expect anything. Um, I was in a place where I just, I thought about, I, I think somebody in jail, another inmate, we were talking about needing help. And he said, well, would you help you? And I said, no, I, I said, no, I wouldn't. Um, because I think oftentimes we fail to step outside ourselves and take a look at ourselves from an outside perspective and ask that question, how would I feel if someone was treating me the way I'm treating people? And how would I feel if I had been trying to help this person for that many years? And this is what I got in return. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't want to, um, but that was, um, that's what God does. And he's the redeemer and he is, uh, he's the giver of grace. And I'm so grateful that, that you did this for me, that you were there because this book shows. Um, so our book letters home is a compilation. It's our letters back and forth while I was incarcerated for that first year and a half of sobriety. Um, my dad, because I wasn't, I was just in jail. And so uh, for anyone who who's ever been in jail or prison or, or anything of the like, there are resources and there are things that are available but it's not the healthiest environment and it's very easy to get plugged into a negative crowd or just uh, spend your time doing nothing. And I had made the decision that I knew that couldn't be me. I had lost so much time and I had squandered so many years that I didn't have the luxury to say, I'll do it later anymore. And so um, I'm just so grateful that you answered that call. And I, I talk about that a lot with guys that I work with and mentor and when we're talking about our purpose and um, what God has on the destined for our lives is um, answering the call. 
you know, answering the call and stepping out, even though, you know, this feels unnatural, this feels like I could be going down another long, dark hallway. Um, did you feel that? Did you think about that when you started to engage again? No, I, I don't remember uh, having a, a negative feeling about, I think I was just encouraged. Yeah, we're on the right track and this is good. Uh, so no, I don't remember Oh, this is another dark, long hall. I remember having hope. And I knew that that was, if I just kept reminding you, as a, you and your brother both, to do the best with what you've been given, that he's going to do amazingly more than we could ask or imagine. And that's what he did. Yep. Well, I know we're so grateful to have this book, Letters Home, uh, Journey into Recovery. Um, our book's available on Amazon. Um, you know, thanks to me, we walked through a lot of craziness. Yes. Um, but the, by far the greatest blessing about all of those things is what it is being used for now in our lives and that we get to sit here and have these conversations and share with other families, what we've learned, what we experienced, and, uh, more importantly, what God has done for us. Because not only do we have this book, but now I have a business, Elevated Lifestyle Academy, where I work with families and young men just like me who are walking through this stuff. Um, so we, we want you guys to know about that. Like I said, Letters Home is on Amazon available. And um, my business, Elevated Lifestyle Academy, we're at elevatedlifestyleacademy.com or on social media, um, Elevated Lifestyle underscore Academy on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook as well, um, Dad. Well, my word is this. This book should give parents hope because I, I know so many parents just feel hopeless. But remember, God loves your child more than you ever possibly could, and he's busy about them 24-7. And this is what can happen. And I'm so thankful that God has redeemed your life I'm thankful I get to walk out this side and, and enjoy life with you at this point. He does a really good job of making it seem like I did all the hard work, but this book will show you the importance of my father's role in my life and every father, um, the importance of their role in their son's life. And um, this shows you what can happen um, with faith and with family and doing those things. So. Uh, again, thank you to Irvin and Sarah for letting us hijack the studio and talk about our book. Uh, we're so grateful to be here, and we hope you guys have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's From Beer to the Bible. Make sure to tune in next week when Irvin and Sarah gift you with even more addiction recovery information. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, we're always there for you.